Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 49. Continuing with the Historic Preservation Series, um, let's, uh, let's talk about a bit about uh, wood carving and, and millwork. Um, always uh, craftsmanship and a craftsman needed for uh, creating raised panel formations, doors, windows, and and I know we covered doors and windows, but uh, millwork, uh, primarily uh, raised panel systems and moldings. So in the earliest periods of each colony, survival was the driving force and construction activities focused on providing shelter and security for all the colonists. Whatever ornament existed was mostly an indirect result of being an integral part of the woodwork that had come directly from the hands of the master builders. Surfaces were plain and often severe by modern standards. Ornamental woodwork was not a priority. As the 17th century proceeded, when prosperity did occur and security was assured, ornamental objects became more common features in building construction. As time, technology, and economics allowed, decorative embellishments became part of the craft of creating interior surfaces. With long-term posterity, carvers, another occupation-based name or surname, became available who would create more elaborately shaped objects and decorative pieces to adorn otherwise plain buildings. And the word carpenter is really used interchangeably with cabinet maker and furniture maker. So, uh, and there are different degrees of someone who makes furniture and who's a carpenter. So, so architectural details varied with contemporary opinions based on the political, aesthetic, and intellectual and economic disposition of the owner. Using the latest construction methods and materials was often viewed as the means of demonstrating these qualities. The improvement of cutting-edge technologies in the 18th century enabled a more sophisticated set of woodworking tools to be created. As a result, Excuse me. The federal style, popular at the turn of the 19th century, was noted for more finely cut handcrafted wood details. The early stages of the Industrial Revolution radically transformed manufacturing systems to increase production capacity, including the 19th century introduction to steam-powered saws. While a dispersed population of woodworkers still existed, The profitability of concentrating workers in a central location to fabricate such things as doors and windows was instantly recognized. This became especially true as transportation networks expanded. As a result, woodworking became a nominal component in a larger production process to maximize production output and eliminate inefficiencies. The former process to separate craft operations were organized into a network of sequenced activities that fed the mill raw materials enabled greater production of goods that could be less expensively produced than the products of smaller independent operations. Skilled workers using a combination of power and hand tools could produce significantly more board feet of lumber that was milled into trim and moldings were subsequently crafted into separate window and door units. 
while not quite the assembly line later devised by Henry Ford in building cars in the early 20th century. This process established the mill as a powerful economic presence. Independent shop operations that could not compete with the lower-priced products coming from mills failed, and their owners often eventually went to work for the mills. The construction of wood buildings and their components was then completed by rough and finished carpenters, and the sublettes of the early crafts that were lost. The products formed, made by the independent trades, were then collectively called millwork. By the mid-19th century, carvers were crafting these models for casting molds used to create objects of cast iron, plaster, and composition, which consisted of chalk, glue, linseed oil, and resin. Details to reproduce ornamental details originally crafted in wood. Creating the molds used for these operations required carvers who could make the wood models that were used to make the molds, thus carving them in reverse. So thus, the carvers too became part of the process of creating millwork at that time. The 19th century produced many architectural styles that all relied heavily on wood construction. Among these, Gothic Revival and its variant, Carpenter Gothic, Italianate, Second Empire, Queen Anne, Stick, Eastlate, and Shingle Style, all brought an increasingly higher demand for low-cost wood products. By the late 19th century, an array of catalogs displaying a multitude of building products from mills were readily available. The railroad and postal service made it possible to ship and receive an assortment of goods from anywhere in the country. So during this period, ornament became larger, but in many cases less finely detailed. Mechanization could speed up production, but was constrained in producing three-dimensional objects with finely crafted details. Carvers created individual components, such as mantles, fireplace surrounds, brackets, and decorative infill pieces for larger pieces of assembled millwork. The arts and crafts movement of the late 19th century became popular in part due to the recognition and mechanization had eliminated much of the human craft in the building of an ornament. This movement promoted the idea of individual craftspeople producing more finely crafted details by hand. Despite this movement, Milling operations continued in the same direction taken since the early Industrial Revolution. Cutting and shaping profile moldings and ornamental details were based on cost reductions. Intricately carved details were still available from artisans but were more expensive than the standard details produced at a mill. In the late 20th century, advances in computerized cutting technologies were developed that theoretically allowed more intricate detailing to be produced. However, many of the most intricate carvings are still done by hand. The use of plastics and injection foam systems designed for new construction has also been suggested for historic preservation work. The ability to shape and craft objects and buildings from wood was long known and well-practiced in Europe. 
The long-standing system of master and apprentice had produced buildings that ranged from simple to utilitarian to those that were finally appointed with the highest level of ornamental craft. Natural wood obtained directly from trees was the essential component of woodworking for centuries. Later, other materials were developed to assist in producing wood ornament more easily. A group of early plastics known as composition was devised to help create elaborate but often repeated details. In the 20th century, sustainable design efforts led to the introduction of medium-density fiberboard as we know it for probably the last 20 years MDF, and various resins and plastics to reproduce the visual aspects of historic millwork and woodwork. Wood was used because it was typically readily available and could be cut and shaped in any form. The use of exotic wood, such as mahogany, was limited to the wealthiest building owners. In many instances, less expensive woods were used in the private and part spaces and more expensive species in the public spaces. When expensive woods were not available, faux finishes that imitated their color and graining patterns were used instead. For example, pine and fir could be painted to look like the more expensive oak, maple, or mahogany. When hardwoods such as oak were readily available, they were often the choice for durable surfaces for flooring and stair treads. Softwoods such as pine and fir were used to subflooring and trim that was less likely to be exposed to wear or in the place of hardwoods in a less expensive construction. The placement and use of these two different wood types often indicated the prosperity of the building owner and the community. Composition was an early form of a thermostatic plastic, which meaning it hardens when it cools or it softens when heated. That was used to duplicate numerous repetitive details. Rather than carving every detail separately, a composition or compo as it became known, as I grew up to have it known, was an element that was cast. To make the detail, a wood model of the detail was carved and then the mold was made from it. And this, as we just mentioned, this detail was carved in reverse. Composition was a mixture of chalk, glue, linseed oil, and resin that was heated and poured into the mold and allowed to set. Once set, the piece was removed from the mold and glued to what otherwise would have been a simple flat surface. The process saved the time needed to repeatedly carve multiple copies of the same detail. Compo was typically a median to dark to brownish orange and could be painted, glazed, and or stained. Efforts to reduce costs led to the use of wood and plastic laminate veneers on hollow cord doors or pressed wood substrates. Similarly, stamped metal doors were used where stronger or more fire-resistant materials were warranted. When a health or life safety code required their use in historic buildings, metal doors can be decoratively painted to match historic wood finishes. Two modern materials that have found growing acceptance are embossed MDF and resin castings of detailed three-dimensional ornaments. Use of these substitute products must be approved by any oversight body if the project is undergoing design review that follows the standards.
Originally, hand tools were used manually to cut wood into various shapes and sizes. Cutting tools were made from iron sheets and bar stock and shaped by the blacksmith. The cutting edges were honed by hand on a grindstone or even with a file. Saws were designed in one of two ways. A rip saw was intended to cut along the length of the wood with the grain. A crosscut saw was intended to cut across the grain. Large saws were used for rougher cuts. Saw blades became increasingly small with finer teeth, as required cuts became much, much more delicate. Handmade molding planes allowed specific shapes to be created. The edge of the metal blade was cut and filed to the desired shape and beveled for easier cutting capability. Later developments in steel led to the use of steel secured along the blade to improve the durability of the edge. When steel became more commonly available in the 19th century, the entire blade was made from steel. Other cutting tools, including augers, braces, and bits, chisels, gouges, rasp, and scrapers, were used to shape the wood. Chisels and gouges came in a wide assortment of ranges and shapes, flat, curved, and V-shaped. Wooden mallets were used to strike the chisels or gouges to chip away the raw surface. Hence the term chip carving is used to describe a certain type of carving. Mallets are also used to force joints together. A variety of clamps, straps, bench dogs, and vices evolved to hold the assembly in place on the bench while the assembly was being worked, glued, or secured together. For example, pegged, nailed, or screwed. Measuring and laying out work was the most critical aspect Thus, marking and measuring tools were developed for a specific range of uses. They included gauges, rollers, squares, levels, compasses, calipers, and assorted scribing devices. The use of hand tools was a slow, careful craft process, but the increased demand for woodwork, woodworking goods in the early 19th century brought about the opportunity to mechanize these tools. Previously, Limited by human endurance, woodworking tasks were completed in a fraction of the previous time by machines. That included the cutting edges of hand tools. The cost or the high cost of these tools limited their immediate use to entrepreneurs who were backed by investors for family money. The 19th century saw the introduction of a variety of cutting devices, including bandsaws, joiners, which is a planer, drill presses, lathes, and other power tools which employed water, steam, and eventually electric power. Although seemingly immune to mechanization, by the late 19th century, carving was being replaced by embossing machines that formed ornamental detail using a stamping die. In essence, a metal die was crafted to press a design into a piece of wood. In some cases, bevels on the dies carved out portions of the raw wood. In others, the wood fibers were simply crushed into a specific shape that formed the detail. Uh, this will be part one of wood carving and millwork. And uh, don't forget, if you want more of a visual of the historic preservationist, please look us up, one word, the historic preservationist, um, on Instagram, uh, our YouTube channel, the historic preservationist, and IGTV for, uh, I believe, 14, 15-minute videos. And uh, 
just one uh, misnomer. Um, talking to an individual today, a client uh, somewhere in southern New Jersey, and um, going back and forth, and it's very dismayed. Um, they they found some individuals on a historic house down in southern Cumberland County. Um, it was a historic eight, early 18th century house uh, of clabbered, and uh, these individuals were actually putting a cedar roof on, which was a, a nice thing to think about. What were they doing? They are putting a cedar roof over a standing seam tin or metal roof. Um, they're making special type platens to cut over the, the uh, standing seams, and that standing seam roof was actually over a base um, cedar roof also. So they had a cedar roof, a standing seam roof, and now they're putting uh, the platens across there, and then another cedar roof. So what are we doing here? This is crazy. And, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a local firm doing this, and they should be banned, absolutely banned and dismayed. Um, this is poor craftsmanship. It has nothing to do with historic preservation. It's yo-yos um, trying to just to make a buck. Or it's the homeowner trying to work on the cheap, either one. So anyway, uh, just some tips, um, some, some wrongdoing of the day. So Greg Perry, the Historic Preservation, is signing out. Uh, thanks for listening.